Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm best-selling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome to episode 395 of the Paleo View. It is opposite day again because, Stacy, you have prepared a super detailed, science-backed skincare follow-up show, and I get to, once again, be the uh, comic relief, shall we say? Am I the comic relief? <laughs> I don't know. You'll probably still chime in a lot on science. <laughs> <laughs> I So this one is a follow-up to the non-toxic skincare, but it's not necessarily just about skincare. I think there's been a lot of information about toxins in general. Mm-hmm. Um, non-toxic is one of the top Google searches um, right now. So I wanted to dive into what that means on your person. Um, it can be a variety of things. So this week, um, I'm going to dive into gluten in personal care, heavy metals in personal care, fragrance, which we've talked about a bit before, and the fragrance loophole and why that could be mm-hmm. toxic for you. Yeah. And specifically asbestos, there's been a lot of talk of asbestos in talc. And so I want to provide some information and clarity on that. Uh, because talc is not poisonous, my friends. Talc is uh, potentially fine. It's asbestos that could be uh, poisonous being the definition for toxin. It's very detailed um, in terms of if you look up the definition of toxic, what would you find? It just says poisonous. So I think a lot of people use the words non-toxic or toxic in very flamboyant. If you could see me, I'm just like throwing my arms around. Like they're just throwing that word around left and right without necessarily care to what it means. So what I want us to think about when we use the word non-toxic or toxic as it relates to personal care this week and in the future, is it poisonous or is it just something that doesn't work for you? Or maybe you're choosing not to use or whatever the case may be, right? So for example, tomatoes aren't toxic for me, but they're toxic for me. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like they're terrible for me and they inflame my immune system and blah, 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 right? But tomatoes aren't toxic. Um, And so I think it's important. I just wanted to kind of start off defining that word because like many things that are clickbait, high SEO, um, all that kind of stuff on the internet, you'll find people saying things that make my eyebrows raise like, oh, really? (laughs) And I just want to let you know the show will be science-based as we dive into what are actually toxic, poisonous problematic things for you to use on your body and why. So, um, so to make sure that I completely am clear, um, you're defining, uh, toxic as, um, ubiquitously 
poisonous, meaning it's not related to individual tolerance. So like something like a sensitivity would be a separate thing. And you're also differentiating between the words like non-toxic and like healthy and safe, which would be like, again, sort of a slightly different, like non-toxic doesn't necessarily mean, and this is going to be awesome for you. Do I, do I understand properly? A hundred percent. Just like, you know, good food, isn't necessarily the same as just not bad food. (laughs) So (laughs) the first thing I'm going to talk about is the thing that I get the most questions on, which is gluten and skincare. So let's just be really clear in saying that even if there is gluten in a personal care product, that would not make it toxic. Something can still be non-toxic or even natural and have gluten in it. Does that mean that I'm going to use it or that Sarah's going to use it? That's a different answer, right? So let's just be clear that you can read something that says it's non-toxic, that it's natural, blah, 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 and it could have gluten in it. So for example, a hair care product company wanted to work with me and they sent me a bunch of stuff and I had looked at their, one of their products was clean ingredients. I was like, okay, sure. And they sent me shampoo and conditioner and I'm in the shower about to put it on and I read and one of the, you know, first couple of ingredients is wheat. And I was like, oh, never mind. (laughs) Let me put this back down. That's not going to work for me. So the other point that I want to make is just because one thing is either okay or not okay from a company doesn't mean that, you know, the next thing is going to be. And ingredients and reading labels, just like in food, is going to be important in your personal care products. So um, how do you learn how to read the labels in looking for gluten? So when we're looking at gluten on skincare products, it's important to understand that gluten containing is not the same as um, derived from. And that's specific because gluten is a protein. So If, for example, something is an alcohol, um, if you think of whiskey, for example, it wouldn't test positive for um, gluten because it doesn't have any protein in it, but it's still derived from a gluten-containing grain. So it's the same in personal care products. You have some ingredients that are going to be okay for most people because they're not gluten containing, even though they might be derived from, but then you have a different class of of ingredients that are inclusive of the protein, which would be gluten. So when you're thinking about what do I need to look for, the questions that you need to be asking are, you know, how sensitive to gluten are you? Do you have a weakened immune system or gut dysbiosis? Do you have an autoimmune condition or skin that is weakened with open wounds, which means that it's going to penetrate your skin in a different sort of way? Our skin is a really good barrier. And Gluten protein in particular is too big for our skin to absorb. Um, And so if you have healthy skin and you're not um, super sensitive, i.e. you don't have celiac disease, you don't have an autoimmune disease, then using gluten in your skincare might actually be okay for you. But for most of our listeners who have an autoimmune condition or um, a weakened immune system or gluten sensitive, you might not want to mess with that, right? So 
before I jump into the list of actual <laughs> ingredients, I figured you have some some thoughts on this, Sarah. Yeah, I think um, you know one of the things that we know about gluten. Uh, there's a there's a piece of this that um, to me would depend a little bit on exactly how the product is derived, um, because even though the the protein fraction of gluten that's called gliadin is too big to penetrate healthy skin. Um, if it's partially digested, uh, which it could be if it is derived through an enzymatic process, um, there enzymes will cut proteins in very predictable locations. So it's like, I like to cut bonds between these two types of amino acids. And then you can go, well, like if that enzyme is close to this protein, you can predict exactly every single spot where that protein is going to be cut into smaller pieces. And we know from a digestion standpoint um, that what is problematic about gluten isn't the full molecule in, for example, not just celiac disease, but from um, even in terms of how um, it's not specifically gluten that is getting into the body intact. It's predictable gliadin fragments because we can say our body makes these types of digestive enzymes. Our digestion is not particularly compatible with gluten. So we break up gluten and specifically the protein fraction of gluten that is gliadin into these very predictable spots. And these, it's these gliadin peptides that are, would be small enough to cross the skin barrier, but in the gut barrier, uh, they do cross into the body. They bind with receptors in the liver and in fat cells. And that's one of the reasons why gluten might be linked to obesity. And so, um, I would sort of add, add to this, piece of um, if you are somebody who suspects a higher sensitivity to gluten, that the depending on whether or not there is an enzymatic step to the derivation on the ingredient, you may be looking at a gliadin peptides in the product as opposed to gluten itself, in which case the potential for problems could be higher. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things you alluded to is when the structure of gluten changes, then your skin, even if you're a healthy person, would be absorbing it. And so therefore, if you do have an intolerance or something like that, it would um, be specific. So uh, that process, for example, one of them is hydrolyzation, um, Mm -hmm. changes the structure of gluten so that it is a size that is penetrable. So um, often found in oils, for example, if you think about the um, hydrolyzation of oils in food, how, you know, hydrolyzed vegetable protein is an entirely different thing than vegetable oil. So that hydrolyzation process from the gluten molecule makes it so that it's small enough to absorb into the skin. So for me, I do not touch hydrolyzed anything, even if it's um, supposedly like fermented or something like that, where the gluten protein 
wouldn't Fer- fermentation is an enzymatic reaction exactly yeah so for me if anything that's been hydrolyzed I'm like nope that's not for me because the process has changed um other things that would enable higher absorption of anything you're putting on your skin for example um if you've steamed your skin if you have dermabrasion mm-hmm. if you have an open wound um if you're doing any sort of treatment to your skin like electrical or light treatment um All of those things are going to allow the ingredients of what you're putting in topically to enter into the skin through, you know, either hair follicles or just more easily absorbed. And that can be really great when you know those things are there. For example, if you're doing, for me, I do dermabrasion once a week to help with um, acne and aging. And I use it as a way to enable my skin to absorb and have higher cellular regeneration. And I, you know, put on my highly active skincare things after dermabrasion so that my skin absorbs it. What I wouldn't do after a dermabrasion is put something that my skin might have a reaction to because then your skin is absorbing it that much more, right? So be aware that when you do these treatments, your skin is even more, I don't want to say sensitive to, but it's, it's absorbing that even more into the skin. So if there were gluten in it, for example, it would then be absorbed more into the body than otherwise. Um, The other thing that I won't do anything that if there was any gluten derived anywhere from are products that go on the mouth or the hands or sprayed Mm -hmm. uh, because you're absorbing it, right? So where your skin might might be a barrier, even if you're a healthy person, if, again, you have a gluten intolerance and you spray or you put lipstick on that has gluten in it, um, you're actually consuming it, right? Which is different than putting it on your arm or your leg and having a skin barrier that would protect you from the gluten protein. So just to kind of like give an overview of things to think about in terms of it's not necessarily black or white. I think a lot of people, um, at least when I started being aware of skin ingredients. Like I just was like, it's either an absolute no or an absolute yes. And I do think that it's more nuanced than that as you learn more about it. So for me, the ingredients that I just absolutely avoid, no matter what, like it's just not for me because I have celiac disease and I have known gluten intolerance and most of our listeners are going to be in that boat, are hydrolyzed wheat protein. Because Mm -hmm. like I said, it contains... A gluten protein, period. Um, rye seed extract. So it's often called, and I'm going to mispronounce it here, Cecil Cereal. So S-E-C-A-L-E-C-E-R-E-A-L-E, or it would often be in parens like rye seed extract. Um, that would also contain gluten protein. And if you think about it, rye is a gluten containing grain. So of course, if you're extracting the stuff from that seed, it would have it in it. Um, and then hydrolyzed hyaluronic acid, unless it specifies that it was sourced from beets. Um, Usually it's going to be sourced from wheat. So hyaluronic acid isn't on my list of ingredients to always avoid, but if it's hydrolyzed, I avoid it because we're changing the chemical um, structure of it. And um, It's not going to be something that my body is going to resist. And um, as someone who has uh, food sensitivities and all of that kind of stuff, that is not something that I'm comfortable with because it's it's going to be absorbed by my skin. So do I want to jump into the things that I personally don't necessarily worry about and why? 
Yes. Okay. So again, this is completely bio-individual and I think it really also depends on the health of your skin. If I had, you know, eczema, rosacea, any of the skin conditions we've talked about before where I had um, open wounds of my skin, I might think of these things differently. I have healthy skin for the most part, you know, even though I have autoimmune, I am a, a healthy person. So these um, five ingredients are ones that if you are compromised in some sort of way, you need to think about and look at the ingredients. But these are ones that as I became more educated about the science of gluten in skincare, I decided do not bother me. I tested, obviously, in you know, small batches, the patches of my skin, check to see if I had any immune reaction over long-term use and they don't affect me personally. But my individuality is not the same as everyone. So you need to look into these ingredients, see if anything you're using contains them. And maybe if you've been having a reaction from a skin condition, this could be why. So I mentioned earlier hyaluronic acid and sodium hyaluronate. Um, Both of these are fermented forms of wheat, which means that the fermentation has broken down the gluten protein and it would test as a gluten-free in a, um, you know, gluten certification process. The brand that I use, Beauty Counter, actually does gluten certification testing and the products that they have containing hyaluronic acid test gluten-free. Most companies aren't doing formalized gluten testing on their products. So again, I think Sarah, one you use, you use hyaluronic acid um, from beets, correct? Yes. So that's another thing too, to look into, right? As if you can't find whether they test, if you find the source ingredient on hyaluronic acid, it could be from beets instead of wheat. Um, Okay. So that's the first one. Do you have anything you want to mention on that? Um, I think the, I think it's important to add the caveat. I know you've already added the very strong caveat for people with, um, celiac, but the, um, there is some concern in the metal community that the, uh, testing criteria for gluten-free is not rigid enough for celiacs that it still allows, enough parts per million of gluten that when consumed, again, this is, you know, that's different than putting it on your skin, that, um, that it is potentially problematic for celiacs, even, you know, gluten-free certified things that have the potential to still have like a few, say, parts per billion molecules. And so, the science right now on that hasn't really been clear enough to, you know, say what what that guideline should be changed to. So there's still a lot of like uncertainty. But um, you know, I think with everything, Stacey, you've already mentioned bioindividuality several times. So I just want to sort of like highlight that um, if you are celiac um, or if you suspect that you have severe gluten sensitivity. Um, caution is the better part of valor. So you, you can always do the, the skin test where you put something on uh, the inside of your wrist where your skin is um, a little bit thinner and wait 24 hours and see if you react. Um, see if you, if you notice anything. Um, you know, I think that there are ways that you can um, try out 
ingredients like this that are um, just slightly more cautious in the case that um, the current level, acceptable levels of gluten particles to test as gluten-free may still be problematic potentially for celiacs. Absolutely. I agree. I think in particular, hyaluronic acid has a lot of skin benefits. It's one of the ingredients Mm -hmm. that we talked about, I think, on the menopause show as being incredibly beneficial for skin. And so for me, that's one of the ones that I actually use a product every single day that contains hyaluronic acid. And I do not have a reaction. And the reason that I use it is because I see such benefit from it, but I'm I'm also aware of for people who have a higher sensitivity, I'm like, I don't know how much more sensitive you can be than all the things that I have. But <laughs> nevertheless, right. if you have like skin issues or something like that, obviously your body could be um, reacting differently to it. So um, it is, like I said, fermented wheat. Um A lot of people, and like you said, Sarah, consuming and putting it on the skin are completely different things. That's why I mentioned at the top, if you're spraying, if you're putting it on your lips, um, those are are different, right? But on the skin, when it's fermented like sourdough, for example, a lot of people who have issues with gluten intolerance eat sourdough bread um, without issues, which is always just like blows my mind. I'm not willing to try it just because I have you know, such a reaction, but the fermentation process really changes that structure so much that, um, in the case of hyaluronic acid or sodium hyaluronate, um, it's testing gluten-free through what's happening to those, um, ingredients by the time they're completed. So just for reference, um, the other four that I'm going to mention also would test gluten-free on that parts per million test. But like Sarah said, you know, that's really bio-individual and it's also completely different on the skin versus ingested or s- sprayed, which is also ingested. Yeah. So, um, arachidil glucoside is another one and I'm going to, all of these are going to be in the show notes. Actually, I'm not going to spell them out cause that'll be boring to listen to, but all of these will be in the show notes. So you can go and look them up, write them in, you know, notes on your phone or take a screenshot. So that the next time you're looking at a um, product, you can remember what to look for. But this one, it would be sourced from wheat. I was not able to find that it could potentially be sourced from other things. Um, Cause like sometimes like the hyaluronic acid and a couple of other ones I mentioned um, could be entirely not even sourced from wheat, but this one, if you find it would be sourced from wheat, but it is an alcohol. So it's not, there's no protein in it. It's been through a, a distillation process and there would be no protein. Beta-glucan is another one that would be sourced from barley or oats. If it was sourced from gluten-free oats, it wouldn't matter. But in most cases, someone's not going to go to that measure. Um, But these are sugars, so they wouldn't have the gluten protein either. Um, Sclerotium gum, which is sourced from either wheat or corn. Um, So in this case, obviously, if it was sourced from corn, it would be fine, is a sugar and therefore wouldn't have the protein. And sorbitol, which is also sourced from either wheat or corn as a sugar alcohol and wouldn't have protein. So those are the list, those five things where I look at what is the skin benefit of the other things that are in it. Um, I test myself for a reaction. I see how I do. And I personally 
don't worry about those five things. The three things that I mentioned earlier, hydrolyzed wheat protein, rye seed extract, or um, hydrolyzed hyaluronic acid are the three that I do not mess with. That when I see those, I say, no, thanks. No, thanks. That's a hard pass. (laughs) Um, But might not necessarily be the case for you if, like I, I mentioned earlier, you don't see a reaction from, you know, gluten or you have strong immune system and no open wounds. Like it really is mm-hmm. so bio-individual. All right. Are we ready to jump into actually toxic things? So, um, yeah. all right. <laughs> I think you're going to... Just because gonna... I want to like go into my bathroom and be like, what? And be freaked out. Yeah. I think... I think you're going to really enjoy this section of the show, Sarah. (laughs) So I want to talk about heavy metals. This is one of the things that about, I think it was 18 months ago, maybe two years ago, I dove deep into PubMed and I like got lost for a week. I did a ton of research and actually the show notes are going to reference three different publications from NIH and one from CDC for you. So these are scientifically well-researched, um, backed information session. And, um, so I'm gonna just ruin the punchline for you up front and say that inhalation and, um, ingestion of particular heavy metals, um, cadmium, for example, is absorbed 120 times more than if it were put on your skin. So, If you think about heavy metal poisoning and how, um, for example, mercury was a very common ingredient in like top hats and stuff like that. And people were um, breathing that in the air in, you know, I think the early 19th, the early, early 20th century, the early 1900s, Mm -hmm. um, that inhalation of the fumes was, was being absorbed by them more than if someone put mercury like straight out of a thermometer and it broke and it got on your skin. Um, it, it really blew my mind when I thought about how much the importance of heavy metals in powdered makeup and mists, for example, perfume was. So you're not going to find, um, very many heavy metals in perfume, but you're going to find some of the other ingredients that we'll talk about in fragrance. But for me, I went from this idea of the most important thing to switch over for non-toxic living is your thing that you use most often to this idea of the most important thing that you need to switch over are things that you breathe or consume. Um, Because if you're absorbing it that much more, then you're the toxic levels that are going to be in your body are going to be higher, even if you're using skin lotion on more parts of your body or more often because of how easily it is to absorb these things. Are you, did you have like a little like, Hey, science moment there. Um. (laughs) I have nothing to add. I, um, I, I don't think I realized how big the difference is. And I'm assuming you're comparing this to healthy skin um, and then like skin that was inflamed or if you had no, like, this eczema. Is, this is like inhalation. So I don't know that they did the study on um, healthy or immune compromised skin. Um, I have to actually go back and, yeah. and look at I the would, definition of those. My, 
I would assume, and it, uh, keep listeners keep in mind that I'm assuming here that yeah. it would be a comparison to healthy skin, yeah. because that uh, unhealthy skin can be unhealthy in such a diverse amount of ways that it's probably not a good comparison because you have to like figure out what an average is. Um, so you know, I think it's it it would be interesting to know how much leakier say skin that has eczema can be compared to normal skin. That data is probably out there. I could probably, you know, just give me a couple hours and I'll find it. But, um, (laughs) but I think that, um, that's a pretty, it's a pretty stark difference. And I don't think they were testing. So first of all, it's difficult to do testing on known things like heavy metals on Mm -hmm. people because you don't, People don't you, like mercury poisoning. You can't ca- you can't intentionally cause damage. Like you know that if you give someone heavy metals, let me just that, rub some lead into your skin. It's fine. Yeah, it'll be yeah. fine. I just want to see what happens. Yeah. So these studies aren't like easy to run. So where you would be able to tell, like, oh, what's the difference if I do it to a healthy person to a not healthy person? But what we can tell is based on different kind of studies or information that's out there. Um, that, like I said, cadmium, for example, was absorbed 60% versus uh, inhaled versus only 0.5% through the skin. So that's where I'm getting that 120%, mm-hmm. uh, the 120 times amplification. So what does cadmium do? Um, cadmium causes anemia, birth defects, um, impairment of pulmonary function, renal dysfunction, bone changes, liver damage, kidney damage, iron deficiency, oxidative stress. This would be the definition of a toxin, right? Like this is, these are things causing damage to your health. Um, And you would find cadmium and inhalation, ingestion and absorption through the skin would all be ways that your body would take it in. Some of the other heavy metals that you would commonly find in personal care products are mercury. Um, I think I mentioned earlier that it's the mercury in the red of um, tattoo ink that caused the immune flare for me. And we talked about this once before, Sarah, you looked into the... the mm-hmm. um, what ingredients are in what colors. And so, for example, mercury is commonly found in red. You would find it um, probably more often than you're comfortable with in red lipstick, for example. So you would um, be exposed or the route of entry for mercury would be inhalation, ingestion, absorption through the skin. And that's going to disrupt your nervous system, damage to the brain, DNA damage. So long term for your children, chromosomal damage. I don't think I said that right. Chromosome Neal. Chromosomal. Yes, the, where's the N? They dropped the N there, huh? Yeah, um, allergic reactions, tired, headache, um, or negative effect to your reproduction. So um, long-term sperm damage, birth defects, or miscarriages from mercury exposure. Um, I think what gets me about a lot of the things in personal care products is that a lot of them are linked to fertility and reproductive health damage. And um, we find very often that newborns, um, when you test their blood, when they come out of um, the womb, have high levels of ingredients or um, toxins in them. And it's because we are inhaling or ingesting or whatever these um, toxins and ingredients and it's 
getting into the fertility. So mercury would be one of the ones that would affect um, not just a fetus, but your reproductive um, system so that it would cause damage to the 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 base, the sperm, <laughs> you know, so anyway, um, arsenic is another one. That one is inhalation and ingest, uh, ingestion. So not necessarily mm-hmm. through the skin, um, birth defects, carcinogen, um, lung damage, skin damage, liver, bladder, kidneys, GI damage, severe vomiting, diarrhea, and death in extreme cases, obviously. Um, I think we've all heard of arsenic poisoning before. Yeah. Um, lead is another common one. I think most people here, when you think of heavy metals in makeup, the first thing that goes to is lead. I think I've actually said here on the show, lead is regulated in the paint that you put on your walls because they're afraid you're going to eat it, but it's not regulated in the lipstick you put on your mouth. Um, just <laughs> kind of like blows your mind a little bit. Um, so lead would be um, entered either through inhalation or ingestion, again, not necessarily through the skin. And this can cause anemia, hypertension, kidney damage, miscarriages, disruption to the nervous system, brain damage, infertility, and intellectual disorders. The last one that I want to mention is aluminum. I think that's one that people have become much more aware of as um, they look to non-toxic deodorant, for example. The most common place you find aluminum is in deodorant. So you're putting... um, Especially if you shave in the shower and then you put on deodorant right afterwards. Remember how I talked about steam is one of the ways you open up access to absorption. So if you're putting Mm -hmm. on an aluminum-based deodorant right after you shave and steam in the shower, you're going to have a much higher rate of absorption. Um, And while they do not have studies linking directly aluminum and deodorant to breast cancer, there's a lot of tangential information surrounding um, putting that right near the breast tissue and the lymph system could potentially be causing problems that people are trying to research and trace. What we do know is that aluminum is absorbed either through inhalation, ingestion, and absorption through the skin. It is one of the ones that is absorbed through the skin. So this could cause oxidative stress. Um, I don't even know what aluminosis and dialysis encephalopathy syndrome is. I'm sure you'll enlighten us, Sarah. Um, and it's also been linked to Alzheimer's and breast cancer, but not necessarily. Like I said, we've we talked about, we have a separate breast cancer show when we talked about how the studies are always kind of funded by the people who want to prove that it's totally fine. Um, But there is tangential information out there if you want to look it up that it could be linked to those things. Uh, Aluminosis is a restrictive lung disease. I googled it. Um, And uh, dialysis encephalopathy syndrome I'm assuming is brain swelling as a result of uh, kidney dialysis, but I'm going to Google that one too and just see if I was right. Uh, Yes, it is observed in chronic renal insufficiency patients on dialysis characterized by dementia, speech alterations, myoclonias, asteris. These are more words I don't know that I'm not going to look up because then we're just going to be looking up words for the next 20 minutes. Well, I think it's interesting that you said it was ultimately led to one of those symptoms being dementia because um, Alzheimer's is one of the ones that has been linked to aluminum. So I think it's definitely, just think of it as brain. It it could potentially affect brain brain function. Bad bad brain. Bad brain. We'll leave it at that. (laughs) 
Um, so those are the ones that I think you'll find most commonly in personal care products. Um, what's interesting, and I, I want to just, you know, make a point of, um, using a natural or a clean beauty brand does not mean that your products are free of heavy metals. It's very important to work with a brand, especially when you're using products that are inhaled or put on your lips that are certifying or testing that their products do not contain heavy metals because these things are all natural. Like these are not synthetic ingredients. And so when someone says that their makeup is natural, that could be really great. It could also mean that it's contaminated with these other naturally occurring toxins. So Mercury could hitch a ride with, you know, the natural stone or the clay or the different kinds of things, talc, we'll talk about it in a minute, in your personal care product. So when looking at personal care products, especially makeup is where you would find most of these, except where I said deodorant for aluminum, um, Definitely ask your brand, like even if you're using a small company, for example, who isn't in EWG because that's an expensive certification process or whatever the case may be, they can tell you what their um, process is for certification or testing. I know, for example, Jane Iredell is what I used to use, and they do testing up front on their um, makeup. Last I checked, they don't do continuous batch testing, however. So I don't know if that's changed in the last couple of years, but that is a little concerning for me because when you go to make the next batch of a product, your source ingredient might be kind of the same location, but it could be a different pocket of the earth, which now needs to be tested again to make sure that the outcome does not have any of these heavy metals. Does that make sense, Sarah? Like, I want to make sure people understand that because the wording, you know, natural and non-toxic and all of that kind of stuff um, gets thrown around. And so I think Mm -hmm. it just makes it so difficult for the consumer to know what they're using is safe. I mean, it's, it's really like coming at the, the same conclusion from another direction, but the same conclusion that we've talked about on the show several times is that this industry needs to be regulated uh, there needs to be third-party testing laws. There needs to be labeling laws. Like it, it's not okay that there's so what is it like 1,500 different chemicals that are allowed in personal care products in the U.S. that are banned in Europe, and and most of which are also banned in Canada. Like it's it's uh, for legit you know reasons backed by scientific evidence, um, and it's. Um, I think it's, it's one of those situations where you can be the most informed consumer and without being given the information, like unless that company and, and there are lots of great companies that are, are doing testing and are, you know, doing this right, but unless they are regulated it can be really challenging as a consumer to know the difference between a company that's using the buzzwords and a company that is actually making sure that their products are safe and not contaminated with arsenic. 
I am so glad that you mentioned that because I forgot to mention and thank our listeners for helping to send me to Washington, D.C. this year. Oh, yay! So I, I, didn't I, found know, out, I didn't know that happened. Yay! I know. I found out officially last week. Um, I am one of two representatives. Our friend Noel from Coconuts and Kettlebells will actually be my joint representative in Virginia oh, to advocate for everyone to have means and access to safer regardless of um, who they are because the laws need to change. And I think that's the thing, right, is that those with means and with access, you can find these things. You can be educated. You have the wherewithal to afford safer or whatever it is. But the, the everyday person needs to be able to go to the store and to buy a product and know that it's safe. And it's just mm-hmm. ridiculous that that is not where we are in America, just like you said, Sarah, from the EU to Canada to every other first world country, America is woefully and the only one so far behind. And I'm excited to be able to share that again in Washington, D.C. Um, this will be my second time going. They do it every two years. And I just think it's the most important part of the work that I do. So um, I do want to mention, for example, in um, heavy metal toxicity, there are some studies out there, like I said, it's it's very difficult to test, but um, because you can't just intentionally expose someone. But there was a study that will be linked in the show notes that tested cosmetic use. So they were able to test the cosmetics separately from the people who said they had been using them. And they were able to then track um, and say that there is really no statistical difference in the concentration of heavy metals between like the expensive and the cheap cosmetic problem uh, products. So um, while you can most often find um, problematic ingredients in the less expensive products, because as we've talked about on the show, expensive brands have a reputation and they don't want to use ingredients that would um, cause you harm so that then you wouldn't buy them again or talk badly about their brand. Um, this study was able to find that the exposure, even in low concentration of these heavy metals, were causing a potential health risk to the users since they accumulate in the systems over time. And I think that's the thing is that, especially for someone like myself who has MTHFR, or if you have a compromised immune system, your body is not able to detox these heavy metals properly. So you're accumulating at a greater rate than your body can um, detox and doing things like, you know, a sauna or exercise or hot tub where you're sweating. I like to take hot bath once a week to like fully allow um, my body to release as much as it can. But none of that is is as good as you can make it right. So like I support my liver function by taking liver pills, I, I do all these things, but I guarantee you, um, none of that is going to be enough if you have, you know, a compromised immune system or reduced liver function to properly detox. So no matter what your age or what you're using, unless you're sourcing from a brand that um, is testing or certifying, certifying means that the source ingredient that they're using has been tested. So a lot of the smaller brands, like I know this is what Primally Pure does, um, instead of testing themselves because that's an expensive process. They're sourcing from um, their wholesaler of the ingredient that it has been certified by that wholesaler so that, you know, the whatever ingredient they're using has been tested, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Ready to jump into the fragrance loophole? <sighs> this is... <laughs> 
this is um i'm gonna get i'm gonna get riled up this riles me up every time (laughs) every time it it drives me crazy So as we talked about from a regulation perspective, there is absolutely no regulation right now that exists on what companies can and cannot put on the label of their products. Um, Even the FDA has petitioned a need for this. There is a bill on the floor that I am excited to be able to advocate for next month to get pushed through that would define um, some of the terms on these labels so that at least people aren't lying about Um, for example, being paraben-free on their label, but then putting fragrance in their ingredient list. And almost always, paraben is a binder in fragrance. So there's nothing that prevents a brand from doing that. It's very manipulative and tricky. It is um, what a brand does in order to save money, but also um, try to comply with consumer demand for safer, better products, for example. So for me, If the word fragrance is anywhere on any label, I don't touch it, period. The loophole allows brands to put fragrance on a label and then it's basically, it's protected by trade secrets. Um, So you can say that, well, I, I can't expose what these ingredients are because then someone would be able to determine what my fragrance is and replicate it. Well, the intent of that way back in the day is obviously a lot different yeah. than where we are today, which is that people are hiding a whole bunch of ingredients and saying that it's part of their fragrance. So um, what's interesting Wait, is... Either- what do parabens smell like? It's a binder. <laughs> Stop. I'm just, I'm just like, do you know what I mean though? Like yep. if you're yep. hiding, I mean, I feel like if you are, you shouldn't be allowed to include an ingredient under the word fragrance unless that great ingredient has a distinct smell. I just, okay, it's fine. I'm fine. Yes. So as we think about fragrance, as it expands beyond just perfume, um, fragrance is most commonly in highest concentrations found in home products. So um, I'm going to give two examples. One, Febreze Air Effects was tested by EWG. Um, I know a lot of people are like, don't take my Febreze away. <laughs> just Listen. Listen up, my friend. Um, they conducted testing in 2009 um, as part of a, prod- a project for California schools, which I think is super cool. Um, and they detected 89 airborne contaminants, including carcinogens and toxins, and all kinds of stuff in this Febreze air effects that was not disclosed on the label. Just going to drop that mic and leave it right there. 80, 80 89 contaminants. Four score and nine. <laughs> Airborne contaminants. The other one that got me, um, this is actually a study I found a couple of years ago, and it like made me so mad and it blew my mind, um, is laundry detergents. So we personally obviously have switched out everything in our home to be non-toxic, but if you think about laundry detergents and dryer sheets, it's vented out of the house into the air. And you know when your neighbor is doing laundry because you walk by and you can smell it. That, my friend, is called air pollution. And there was a um, study done in the Journal of Air something. Hold on, I'll tell you exactly. Air Quality, Atmosphere, and Health, which studied... um, 
the air pollution from laundry detergent to determine it was releasing carcinogens into the air. So there's literally carcinogens in the Wait, air. It's also air pollution. Means there's carcinogens in the laundry detergent on your yes. clothes at the end, too. Yes. Well, but what got me is, like, let's say you've decided to be cleaner and not use laundry detergent. Like, if your neighbor hasn't made that decision, they're polluting the air. And because there's no regulation on this carcinogen in the laundry detergent product, there's really nothing you can do other than have a kind conversation with your neighbor about switching to fragrance-free. So um, those ones are, are just, like, examples to me that... Just literally, I'm like shaking, thinking about companies knowingly using ingredients that are linked to cancer and um, other health issues and are using them anyway and hiding you, them. Can I, can I ask, um, and, I, and I don't know if you know the answer to this question because I'm putting you on the spot here, but are these components of an ingredient like you were um like putting in a um i don't know like a, a, a some kind of plant derived like thing and it just happens to that ingredient contains obviously a b- bunch of different molecules right like if you were putting uh wheat into bread it doesn't say gluten on the label because gluten is part of the wheat do you know what i mean like is this uh they're adding benzene as an ingredient or they're adding an ingredient that's, you know, they're, uh, something that's making the thing stable or whatever, lather or whatever, and that ingredient contains benzene. So it's... Well, it is chemistry. So for the most part, those are ingredients, but there are some, especially in cleaning products, where when you mix two ingredients, you actually make something else that is really problematic. Um, and, you know, you can think about the chemistry on that in cleaning products. There's a... a a number of examples, but for the most part, these are, these are ingredients that are there for a reason, like that the company is using for a reason. And because to be fair, someone somewhere in the company has made a decision that has said, well, the government hasn't told us that this is a problem. And they might genuinely believe that small doses of this aren't going to hurt people. Mm -hmm. But We know for a fact that there are, for example, asbestos has been determined no safe amount, that there is no small amount of exposure that is okay, that your body can detox. But what happens is there's so much of this in our system that so maybe benzene and a very small amount by itself, occasionally your body could detox and you wouldn't have a response, but it's not small amounts. It's everyone all around us. And we're putting, I think the average adult woman is putting 14 personal care products on her person a day. So when you think about how many ingredients are in that and amplified at that level, plus our cleaning supplies, plus our laundry, plus, you know what I mean? And plus and plus and plus. And so it, it builds up to a point where we can't. And, you know, the individual companies that are making these individual things are like, well, I'm responsible for mine. And the government has said it's not unsafe. And therefore, I'm going to continue to use it. So that's where we as consumers just have to really research the brands that we're choosing to use. And I think um, understanding the integrity of brands is very important. I don't want to say that Um, there aren't brands out there that are making both, um, you know, 
free and clear is usually like a, a label that a brand has like a cleaner version of a regular version. And I don't want to discourage you if you love, for example, a name brand free and clear. But for me, I find that for the most part, when I'm using a brand like um, we've talked about before on the show, Branch Basics, for example, there is no like dirty version, if we're going to refer to it that way, right? So it's easier for me to move forward and and just trust that brand that I've done, like the initial research of like, their intent is to do no harm across all of their product lines. And therefore, it's easier for me to just use that as my brand of cleaning product. Um, Okay. Are we are we good on the fragrance? Yes. Um, Yes. I mean, good in the sense of yeah, informed. So just to specify, so I said there were 89 contaminants in that Febreze study in 2009. In this um, laundry detergent study, there were 25 volatile air pollutants, including, um, like you said, benzene and other carcinogens. So it wasn't just one or two. It was tw- 25 air pollutants in laundry it found from like just in the air like that's the thing that gets me is like yes obviously if it's on your clothes and you're wearing it it's in your home that's going to be even stronger but to test the air and to five 25 pollutants I'm like what wait huh what okay um so those would be true toxins and um the way to avoid that is just don't use anything that ever has fragrance even if like I've had a couple of companies reach out to me and want me to use their products and they're like they have fragrance in it. I'm like, nope, I'm sorry, you have fragrance. That's no go for me. They're like, well, we can list, we can give you a list of things that make it up. And I'm like, N- like, if you can give me the list of things, then why isn't it on your label? Like, no, right. I'm not interested. So like, um, I need you to up your transparency. And yes. once you do that, we can talk. Yes, exactly. Okay, so um, the next one I want to talk about, and kind of the last one that I want to talk about is um, a topic that I think, Sarah, you and I have talked about is this kind of alarmist perspective. And I think sometimes, mm-hmm people hear something and then they, it's like baby in the bathwater all at once. Right. So, um, there's a documentary that's out right now called toxic beauty. It released in December, 2019. I think it's great. Any education to get information out there to people about the harmful ingredients is fantastic, but because there were specific, um, FDA recalls and the Johnson and Johnson cases around, talc being contaminated by asbestos, it's an easy talking point for people to give as an example of how one ingredient causes cancer that's been proven and it's a problem that the FDA can't do anything about. I 100% understand that tie and why it's a conversation piece for people. I think the issue that I have is from a consumer perspective, we extrapolate the idea that talc causes cancer. I have heard that from numerous people and I I am having to correct them multiple times. So I want to talk about this a little bit. Just like saying clay causes cancer or, you know, causes those heavy metal things that we talked about earlier. That's, that's the equivalent of it, Mm -hmm. right? Saying that clay causes blah, 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 blah from the heavy metals is the same as saying talc causes blah, 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 blah from asbestos. The two are separate things. Talc and asbestos are not like the same chemical item. However, they are commonly found laced together, growing together in whatever formation area talc might be found. So talc is often contaminated with asbestos, just like clay and um, 
the rocks that you might find um, heavy metals in are contaminated, but they are not necessarily tied to one another. So you can use talc that is certified asbestos free or tested to be asbestos free, just like we talked about with the other things. And I, I say that because I think it's really important that if you're going to say something like talc causes cancer to someone that you're trying to educate, if they're able to say, no, you're wrong, then you lose factual credibility. Like you've, you've said something yeah. factually incorrect and now you've lost credibility for everything else that you're saying. So it's really important that we use the terms properly. So the proper way to say it would be talc can be contaminated with asbestos, which is a carcinogen. It's not that talc causes cancer. And I know that that's a nuance and you're like, well, that's what I meant. But there's a big differential there. And the minute that you're talking to someone and they're able to catch you in something like that, you're, you've lost them in everything else that you're saying. So um, there absolutely is a problem with talc being contaminated with asbestos. We've talked it talked about it before on the show. And there was just another one in January where um, the EWD, EG, EWG did a test on children's makeup found asbestos and the FDA did a voluntary recall. Fortunately, it was recalled, but this marks the fourth time in the last, I think, year that we have found asbestos in children's makeup because they're using non-certified, very low-end talc in order to make cheap makeup. So one of the reasons that we're finding it most commonly in children's makeup is because children's makeup is cheap. People are like, Mm -hmm. oh, I only want to spend five bucks on my kids makeup because they're just going to like, you know, put their thumb in it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I get it. But the problem is, is that your kids are inhaling that and their bodies are even smaller. So if you think about like your adult 125 pound body absorbing a certain amount of something. Think about your 50 pound child absorbing that same amount of something in makeup. It's going to be a higher concentration in their body. So I personally have a little girl on the street who is, I think of her as my niece. She's my neighbor and I gift her all of my old makeup and she doesn't care that it's been used from me a little bit. Now she's a tween, right? Like she's But she just wants to play and have fun. And that's how, like, I've talked with her parents who were buying her some, they were looking at buying her some of the stuff that is on Amazon, which is specifically where EWG did this test. And I was like, please let me do it. Like, I I would like to take care of this. I don't have a daughter. If if I had a daughter, obviously, I would be doing that for my daughter. But um, if you have a child who likes to mess around with makeup, I would suggest sharing some of your older stuff that, you know, you don't mind gifting along. And if it's an older teen who wants their own things, like it's worth investing in high quality products for your children. Um, I've shared before the studies on how just within three days, when you switch your personal care products to cleaner, you're able to show a significant reduction in the toxins found um, in your body. So just making that switch makes a literal huge difference in teens and they're still developing their hormones are so sensitive. Like to me, Mm -hmm. it's just the most important time to really focus on clean. So, um, because it's a powder that you breathe, (laughs) it's getting absorbed even more, right? Talc is a powder. Um, and like I said, natural makeup is not going to alleviate you of this. In fact, if it's not certified, it's going to be just as much of a problem, if not worse. So make sure that you're using a brand that continually tests. 
What did I miss, Sarah? What questions do you still have? (sighs) (laughs) We're Um, upside down world, but I feel like I got through it. Yeah, no, I think, um, I, I think the, the, like, bring it all home. Um, I would love for you to remind people how they can advocate for the couple of bills that are in committee right now to actually, you know, get passed and, um, actually change the labeling laws. Cause I think, um, I think that's probably, um, the, the, I mean, there's the whole take home message of like how to be an informed consumer, but then there's the advocacy piece. So let's, let's wrap it up with the advocacy piece. What is the number text, whatever the thing? Absolutely. You can text better beauty to five, two, eight, eight, six, and you can do this how as often as you want. Um, and a form letter will be kind of auto-populated for you, but you can edit it. And the more personal a story you can tell, the better. So if you have a loved one who has, you know, had cancer, or if you have a daughter who you're specifically worried about or anything like that, lawmakers really care about their constituents. So while the form Mm -hmm. letter will be generated, I would suggest just taking 30 seconds to add a little and about me to it, but otherwise it will take you less than a minute just to fill out, you know, your name, your email and your address to show that you are a member of those local communities. And it will send you all of your representatives that um, are tied to your zip code. So again, that's 52886. You text Better Beauty and they'll send you, I think it's a link that you just click and then it opens into the form field for your name and all that kind of stuff. Um, The other one that I want to mention, and I don't know that I've talked about this before, is... um, MICA. So currently, Beauty Counter is also doing, um, so there's two bills in the house related to, um, let me just rewind for a second, to the Better Beauty, both from testing ingredients, five per year that we've talked about to get us to the place Mm -hmm. where Canada and Europe are. And then um, the other one is in disclosure on labeling. Um, The other thing that um, Beauty Counter has started a campaign on. So the reason that it's tied to Beauty Counter is because they actually have a division of their company that is dedicated to lobbying for safer. That's part of what they use their profits for. It's not tied to their brand. They're doing it because they want everyone to have access to the things that they themselves are doing. Um, But they are focused on exposing the mica industry. So mica right now is one of the top growing industries as it's related to, um, uh, electronics, automobiles, paint, um, and makeup. So if you think about like basically anything shiny, um, Mm -hmm. mica is the source ingredient and it is a safe ingredient, just like, you know, um, a natural rock. There's, there's nothing unsafe about mica. The problem is, is that it is, um, abused similar to, um, bananas, cocoa, chocolate, um, avocados, you know, all that kind of stuff that we've talked about. And so they also have a campaign to ask your lawmakers to look into enforcing the fair trade and lack of child labor, Um, into the mica industry, which is known to be abusing local families. So if you care about that, you can also text mica, that's M-I-C-A, to 52886. And so the good thing about that is that law already exists. The problem is, is that it's not being enforced. There are a lot of brands that just don't 
do anything. And because there isn't like an agency that's responsible for going around and checking these sourcing um, responsibility things, no one's doing anything about it. But we know that the mica being imported into America is um, taking advantage of, um, you know, the people in third world countries whose small children are sent to mine in a dark, unsafe um, hole underground. And I personally don't want a child to be doing that for me so that I can have a glittery eye. So if you're passionate about that as well, <laughs> you can text Micah, M-I-C-A to 52886. Those are the two actions. And then the other thing is, you know, continuing to um, support me through Beauty Counter enables them to put profits towards this lobbying effort. Um, if you go to both of the bills that are in the house right now, um, Greg Renfrew, the person who founded Beauty Counter, is listed as one of the people spearheading it and who has helped a lot in, in shaping these sort of things. Um, it doesn't actually benefit Beauty Counter to help other brands be safer. It's going to create more competition for them. But um, by by supporting them and me, it means that we can continue to put more money towards um, advocating for these things, which is the only way that anything is going to get done. The people yeah. have to rise up. We have to speak up. We have to text our senators. We have to be a voice because if we don't, um, they're like, oh, well, people don't care. I'm not going to worry. You know, I'm going to worry about these other things. It's not necessarily that they don't care. It's that they think their constituents are prioritizing something else. And so we have to be a voice to tell them we do care and we want yep. you to put this forward. Please do this. And it, this is nonpartisan. <laughs> I think we've yeah. said this multiple times before, but these bills are all supported um, by partisan, by, by different parties. This is not uh, politically in nature. It gets a little political when you talk about like, well, who, where should the funding be coming from mm -hmm. FDA and blah, blah, blah. But we don't have a say in any of that at this point. What we as consumers can say is we want you to protect us. Like, yeah. it, you know what I mean? Like how you make the sausage, we don't care, but we want you to protect <laughs> the consumers. So um, if you have any follow-up questions about toxins or anything else related to personal care ingredients, if I've said something that you're like, what? Tell me more about that. Um, two things. One, you can check the show notes because all of the sources and the information um, that I've shared will be listed there. And two, you are welcome to email me, follow up with me, you know, reach out to me on social media, and I would be happy to work with you. Um, and I will put links in the show notes to um, some of the brands that we've talked about today. I know, Sarah, you shop with different ones. I've mentioned mm -hmm. a couple brands myself. We'll try to put a list together of the brands that Sarah and I both partner with um, in some sort of way, whether just we use it and we like them or. So one of the companies that I know Sarah and I both like, um, I was able to get a discount code for you, friends. Yay! And you can shop Primally Pure's website and get yourself a discount. It varies on what it is you're purchasing, but check out Paleo View. You can just go to primallypure.com and when you're checking out, use code Paleo View and save yourself some money because I know switching to Safer is not an inexpensive endeavor. And hopefully That's you understand right. why the expense is greater based on the testing and the certification and all the things different brands need to do. But this hopefully will save you some money. And while um, I love and use Beauty Counter, I also use some other brands, Primally Pure being one of them, and they are a pretty affordable option for a lot of things. So hopefully this helps you a little bit. 
So, um, Stacey, I want to thank you for taking the lead on this episode and doing so much research um, and putting together a really awesome resource for our listeners. And I want to remind our listeners that you can support us by leaving a review wherever you listen to this podcast or by telling someone about our podcast and letting them know, letting them know that you like it, share a favorite episode with them. Um, and, uh, as always, you can, uh, go to our websites, comment, you can submit questions, um, comment on our social media. If you have questions that you'd like us to answer on the podcast, thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to the paleo view. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.